What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss the best basketball team not named the Sixers or the Nets, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is January 27th, 2016. It is a, it is a Wednesday. Uh, and the snow is melting somewhat. It is still somewhat very cold. And the, the city handled the snow in an okay, okay standpoint. But, but you know, the, this weather update is usually going into the Wizards and your Washington Wizards. Once again, are losing. They've lost two in a row. They are 20 and 23 on the season. Things, the neg, things are not going well, as you are probably well aware. But that's why you're listening so we can discuss them in greater detail than whether or not Kirk Cousins should have made the Pro Bowl. So with me today is uh, a man who was the, one of the original guests I had on this fledgling online show. We used to do a lot of a lot of video shows and a lot of YouTube and Google Plus Hangouts, but I've not had him on since I've been doing this on a regular basis. But he he is a man that's a veteran of, of rambling on about this team with me online. A uh, good friend of mine as well from Comcast, Mr. Ben Standig. Ben, how are you? What's up, bro? Mr. McGinnis, I, um, it has been a long time. Glad uh, I could make it on the uh, on the podcast. Looking forward to uh, talking about all things wizards. Yeah, how did you do with the snow? Were, were you stranded as well? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't get out. Uh, surprisingly my street normally the plows come through it's like a semi-main road so it normally gets a, attention immediately during the snow and this time literally until last night i didn't get the snow I, i'm not really a metro guy and i had to take the metro to the wizards <laughs> game and, and the georgetown game so that was a little bit of an adventure for me but uh yeah we we, we, we survived wow well that's that's two red line experiences man that, that's a might, you might be good for 2016 now huh <laughs> I almost took a third today because Kirk Cousins was down at the uh, convention center. I almost went for that for work, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I could do three Metro in a row. The train worked out. I don't know if I, w- I didn't want to jinx it. Yeah, I, I was out there tonight. I, I've been stranded. Uh, well, I was stranded for a few days, watched a lot of movies, went out there tonight, and the side roads are still pretty terrible, <laughs> especially the sidewalks. The main roads are okay, but the buses really aren't. Working that well, and people still can't drive. I think they probably should have still set, shut down the whole city. But anyway, enough of the uh, street conditions update portion of this podcast. Ben, this team, 2023, like this is your debut podcast appearance of the year. So I usually tell ask this question to all my guests for the first time on the season. What has this year been your feeling of this club and this team? Here we are. End of January, just your overall sense of watching them for the four, you know, this four or five months of the season so far. Uh, uh, three you know, months, three I mean, months, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, you know, I should. There should be some sort of a hard hitting analysis here and some really in depth take on what on on the good, the bad, and everything. But you know, for so many different reasons, I just want to like sort of shrug my shoulders and just say, you know, kind of meh to the whole thing. I mean. Because it's, they haven't had their real team out there basically since, like, the first couple of weeks of the season. I mean, right now, as we're 
talking, knock on wood, is about as healthy as they've been for six weeks. So on the one hand, it's clearly disappointing that they're in, what, uh, 11th place in the East, but at the same point, they're only five and a half games at a third, only two and a half out of a playoff spot. So if you take if you take a realistic look and say, you know, over the rest of the season, you know, Bradley Beal plays most of his games, Nene only misses a couple more, Kyle Anderson shows back up at some point. They have an actual team uh, night in, night out. Randy Whitman can figure out a rotation, maybe. Then maybe, you know, they they, they, they they start putting enough wins together and get this thing going. But on the other hand, they just look so inconsistent night in and night out. Uh, you can't tell from one game to the next, one half to the next, one quarter to the next sometimes, what they're going to do, um, what, you know, what you're going to see out of them. So it is just... I know, like, some people want to, like, sort of just, like, pound them constantly, and I, and I get it. I, I really just don't know how to point to anything because we haven't seen them consistently in any way, shape, or form. It's almost an incomplete answer to a perplexing question. And my main theme all season has been they've been, incon- they've been consistently inconsistent. And there's a lot of factors that you've mentioned, the injuries – not having the full squad that they envision, but then also beating really good teams on the road and then losing to really so-so teams at home. And all of a sudden they'll, they'll come out and score 17 in the, in the first quarter, score 40 in the second, and then score 18 in the third. And, and, and it's been very, very weird and very just a hard to really peg what's really been going on. But if you, if you take all that out of, the injuries and what's going on. Is there just, just meh? And we go back to the May part. Is it, you know, why like, drilling it down analytically or just from a stat standpoint, like what have you seen from this team when you actually do see them? Let's like, just set aside, you know, who should be out there, just seeing who is out there. Well, I mean, obviously for, for, yeah, keep going. Yeah. I mean, obviously the three point, the three point shooting defense has been, you know, brutal at times. Uh, you know, there was that stretch early to midpoint of the early to midway through the games that they've played. That Indiana game, you know, was the one that really stands out where they just were terrible defending the three. But it, you know, but it burned them the other night against Portland. Um, you know, Portland basically won that game because of the three point, uh, the three point shot. The Celtics had some success the other night with it as well. So that's obviously been a thing. Um, you know, look. The entire story of this season is this going to, you know, the, the pace and space offense. And, you know, I know that you guys in, on Bloggers Row were pushing for this all last season. So I'm sure you've got, you got to be happy that they're going for, for that type of approach. That said, you know, it's amazing how almost the entire season comes down to Jared Dudley because he's the only guy they have who is something of a stretch for on both ends of the court, not that he's a great defender, but at least it's something that, you know, he, he, he's really good at passing and all that. Um, and so when he's not on the court, you know, those minutes always seem to be a little bit dicey because you don't know what you're going to get. Um, but look, I mean, John, you know, we always talk about what is this core of this team, John Wall, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal looked like for the first two weeks of the season, like he was legitimately going to take that playoff run of his and turn it into the regular season. 
and that hasn't happened because of the injuries. Now he's been back, and we, you know, it just hasn't seen this, the same explosion. We don't, you know, know if he's gonna what his minutes are gonna be like the rest of the year. So you take him away from being as good as he can be. Now you basically have John Wall and a lot of guys who are pretty good, but that's not enough to go to the next level. I mean, they're you know they, they, they don't have the they don't have enough inside game. They don't have enough shooters at times. Uh, they're they're older, especially up front. It, it is such a weird hodgepodge team now because of the injuries, because of the roster. Uh, it, it, it's definitely a perplexing team. And by the way, let's just also say that this is all happening at a point where the Eastern Conference is a lot better this year. Every team right now who would make the playoffs is over 500. So, you know, if the Wizards were where they are now a year or two ago, they're probably in the playoffs. And right now in the East, the way it is, they're not. The home record really stands out. The collapsing, the defense, you mentioned the three-point defense, the overall defense. Currently, they're ranked 20th. They were fifth last year. I know Nene plays a little role of him missing games, but we didn't see Nene all last year either. We know Nene is Nene. You know, Beal, you know, he's a decent defender. He still hasn't evolved into some lockdown defender, so missing him shouldn't, shouldn't be that big of a, of a drop-off. Why is the defense dropped off from 5th to 20th? I know that that some of it has to do with with the transition to the new offense, but the dramatic f- collapse of the defense and the really poor home record. They're now ten and fourteen at home. They were twenty nine and thirteen last year, so they've already lost one more game this year. And we're not even to February at the Verizon Center. It seems that there's the two. By the way, there's the two points I made on, on the Truth About a blog. What a what a shameless plug for myself of stuff that was really bad. Do you have any answers for that? Am I too concerning of those two things? That I just don't, I can't get why they can't protect the home court, and I don't understand why the defense, I, I can see why it declined, but I don't understand the dramatic drop-off, especially from Adam Randy Whitman's system that we have seen since he's, he's taken the head coaching job. I, you know, look, I think it's, I think it's, the home thing is perplexing. While you were just talking about it, I was just looking this up really quick. All the teams in the Eastern Conference have a winning record at home except for three. The yes. Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Washington Wizards. They're the only ones. So it's bizarre. You get the Wizards are 10-9 and nine on the road. On the flip side, the Chicago Bulls are under 500 on the road. Miami Heat, Detroit Pistons, in Indiana's 10 and 15. Charlotte 6 and 15. So you're telling me that they're 10 and 9 on the road, and yet they're below all every team I just said. So uh, here he, here's my hot take home struggle theory. Yes. You tell me what you think. Yes, give it here's to my me. hot take. Look, I think John. I think this team goes where John Wall goes. If you put John Wall with John Wall's success, get the games where he's done well on a chart and match it, I would bet it would match very closely to the Wizards winning and losing. When he's not at his best, they lose by ten points. When he's playing at a high level, they win, or at least it's you know comes down to the last shot or two, like, like that Celtics game a week ago where he had thirty six and you know thirteen seven seven, and they lost at the buzzer. Um, but but I think that John Wall, like, every time I hear that somebody says, and, and he will say this, that, that they got booed at home, they didn't really get booed at home. But what, what happens is that the fans from the other team, the Celtics or, or Kobe Bryant or, or whatever, 
are cheering for their side. So the Wizards fans are not booing the Wizards. But either the either some of the Wizards think this, or some of the Wizards just because that that home atmosphere, that atmosphere, especially right at tip off, is often not that good. You get the late arriving crowd or whatever. It's kind of just a there, there's a there's nothing in the air. But when you go on the road, as a as a player, I believe you automatically doesn't matter what's going on. You automatically think you're going into a negative situation. So you're I think automatically almost as more jacked to go into this because you kind of know you're going into the lion's den. So if there's no atmosphere and it's a sort of feels like a neutral court, that's great for you because you already assume, you know you already think it's going to be uh, negative, so that's fine. And if they're booing you and you can quiet them, that's even better. So I kind of think to myself that the Wizards on some level, um, because if you remember a couple of years ago, it was the same thing. They struggled at home and were better at, at, uh, on the road. I, I almost just kind of wonder if the atmosphere situation in their head or, um, or, or realistically, like they just don't, they just don't seem to have the same focus or the same chutzpah to, to use the word of my people, uh, at home. And I really do wonder about that, you know, what that atmosphere at the start of games does. What, what, what do you think about that? No, no, I think you might be hitting that in the sense that it's me against the world on the road, right? It's us, yeah, against, exactly. the wor- it's us against the world. Everyone's booing us. I'm jacked ready to go. We're now I'm out here and there's the Ryzen Center's, you know, a third full and the other team is the other opponents are fans are maybe a little bit louder. I do think it's unfair that Bill Simmons keeps repeating that John Wall was booed at home. I, I think Bulls Forever actually investigated that that was not true. I, I think it started at a Knicks game and maybe a Lakers game that the fans were just booing because they were booing because they were loud, because Knicks fans are loud. It had nothing to do with the Wizards fans were the one booing. Or maybe they were booing the Knicks fans, right? I, I don't know why they ever came out, and it's been repeated. I think Bill Simmons even said that the other day on his podcast and I just want that for the record that that's just not true. I'll defend Wizards fans. There's no Wizards fan booing John Wall at all. Well, but the thing is, like, John Wall thinks I, that. He thinks think that, right? This is happening. <laughs> yes. I right. Know. I think he thinks that. Because, and, and, and I mean, I, I, I sort of get why they think it, but I mean, it's just not true. But that's the perception, you know, so. So maybe that's contributed to, to that. That could be true. I mean, it is, it is curious, you know, two years ago, the Wizards, like you mentioned, were not that good in 2013 and 14 when they beat the Bulls. They were not that good at home. And when Paul Pierce was signed, that was two things that he mentioned. He wanted Bradley Beal and John Wall to be better free throw shooters, and he mentioned they had to be better at home. And they ended up being 29 and 13 at home. So I don't know if it's some veteran leadership thing that Paul Pierce isn't getting anyone jacked, you know, like being like protect our house, like you know when he would turn around and go with the fans and bump his chest and get into it. I don't want to give too much of this Paul Pierce leadership argument because I, I, I think I banned him from the podcast uh, a couple months ago, but I'm just trying to find, uh, find, find, find reasons. Now going into the Verizon center, you, you have been, you've covered a lot of home games. Uh, the, the last three games that the wizards had, they, they beat the heat uh, a week ago tonight, actually an underman heat team by 19, they then got the blizzard hits. They get the Saturday night game was canceled or postponed for the Jazz. I don't think they've mentioned a makeup date with the Jazz yet. And then they come in to play Boston on Monday night at home. The Wizards have not played for four days, five days. Boston had played the night before, and Boston runs them out of the gym in the second half. You were there. 
And the Wizards lost last night in Toronto on a back-to-back. Uh, 106-89 in Toronto. The game was somewhat close. Toronto kind of controlled it. And they pulled away in the fourth quarter. The, the Wizards are now 0-8 this season to Toronto and the Celtics. So these last two losses, not only were they to teams who they're trying to fight for for a playoff spot, and Toronto sense the team they, they should be a rival with after sweeping them last year in the postseason, they now have been swept by both of them already in the season and both losses in convincing fashion. What have you, just those three games, what have you seen on the team, just these last three games, uh, maybe starting with what you saw in the Heat game? I know that kind of was incomplete. It's been a week. And what was your takeaway maybe from the Boston game? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know, the, the, there's always there's always a certain energy factor. I mean, like I said, I think when John Wall is playing at his best, so he's up-tempo, limited turnovers, the Wizards are, are, are just simply a much better team. I don't think, I mean, you know, it's weird. He won a player of the month for December. He's won a player of the week recently. But I don't necessarily know if I feel like he's been at his best the last few games. Now, that I mean, he, he went for 18 and 14 last night, so that's hardly bad, but he had five turnovers. Um, but I'm not picking on John Wall. It's more to the point of when he's not at his best, they just really don't have another place to go. Um, I think what's, what's mostly just stood out to me these last couple games, well, look, the Boston game to me was pretty bad. The players admitted it too, that to have all that time off, to have their, to be, have that opportunity to rest their bodies and just to really just come out pretty flat. Um, you know, I mean, they got destroyed in the second half, you know, from the third quarter on, early in the third quarter on. I, it almost feels like they're reverting back to something weird. I don't even know what their identity is right now. I mean, he's not, what, was it three or four games in a row tied and then they together? I mean, I, I mean, literally up until one of the games on this road trip, I think it was the Portland game, Nene and Gortat had not played together all season. Yeah, one minute, not even one time. minute, right? I, and now they've started like three or four games in a row, so it's sort of like, well, what's going on here? Because, you know, I, I know – a lot of times, like people, uh, you know, I think if you're just a casual fan, you might just view, oh, well, what, what, what difference does it matter? They're, they're good players. But it's a completely different style going with a Nene and Gortat versus going with Jared Dudley or even Drew Gooden or Humphreys just because, you know, those guys can all shoot from the, from deep. So at least offensively, you know, from, uh, in terms of spreading the court, it's sort of the same deal. But when you're going Nene Gortat, it completely changes the look. So I kind of don't understand what is happening here. I know part of it has been injuries, and part of it was matchup. Like in the recent Miami game, the one where they won at home, uh, he wanted to, Whitman wanted to go with the bigs against Bosch and Whiteside. Okay, I sort of get it, but I don't really get what's, why he stuck with it the last couple of games. In particular, why are you trying to? Why don't you do what you want to do? Why I don't always like matching up to the other team because they're going a certain way. You do what you do. Make them. Match. I mean, what Louis Scola is a power forward. You can't go with Jared Dudley there. Like, I mean, I I don't know. So it's weird to me that they keep doing that. So I don't know if that really, but like, I'm like the, the up and down, the results. We've seen that all year. I'm just sort of trying to figure out what is going on right now. It's just perplexing to me that he's going with this lineup. And there's a couple other things with the rotation that I'll get to. while I'll take the breath and let you yes. jump in, but. The Nick or Todd thing 
stands out, and it's largely because this is still searching for what to do, and that's just a troubling place to be when you're now you know, 43 games into the year. Yeah, it is really bizarre. And going back to your original point about John Wall, is I can't think of a game this year where the Wizards have won with average John Wall. Like, like even average, right? So I can't think of a game they've won with average John Wall, let alone John Wall having an off night and somebody else picking him up as a team. Now, obviously, that means because he is the identity. But, you know, sometimes over the past few years, you know, John Wall would have high turnovers and assists, but they'd still find a way maybe to grind out the game, the victory maybe with defense. And just there isn't that identity from that end at all. And John Wall basically makes the whole offense go, especially when you're missing, you know, a talented offensive player like Bradley Beal, who has been out pretty much for a while. That 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 is, I think, that stands out on that point. And going back to your... Your your Gortat Gortat Nene pairing, you're correct. They have now, and, and this is to Jorge Castilla in the uh, Washington Post. He wrote a piece about this today, which I'm sure uh, the, the the Wizards brass will, will love because it's I don't know, it's not critical. It just shows the facts, and it's pretty good. It says pretty much that they've been on the court now since Miami, 47 minutes together, I, and in the 47 minutes. It's a small sample size. They've been outscored by 14 points, a net minus rating of 18 points. That they, it's 88 points when they're on the court and they're surrendering 106 points per 100 possessions. Obviously, a small, small sample size, but you can also see it. I, I know Jake uh, Whitaker on Bulls Forever and that Portland game did a lot of screenshots of just showing where Nene and Gortat are at wrong. Like not wrong, but just they're just naturally not going to hang out on the three point line, which then clogs the lane for the drives of John Wall, which goes back to the whole point of identity change to begin with, and especially when Dudley's actually healthy. I, I didn't see why you have you have to play Gortat and A. Uh, start them, you know. If there's a time you want to pick some minutes up with them, uh, you know, in, in different times of the games. Sure, you know, with Humphreys out, maybe you got to do that. I mean, that's better than putting Blair in or say Gooden. It's not his night tonight, so you want to steal some minutes here and there. But just to go back to your stubborn style of just starting those two bigs and then not finishing with them again on these quarters, starting the first—I mean, the first in the, the first half and the second half—and doing this, it just doesn't really. I don't really understand it. And this, and and it really comes into play when you play a team like Toronto, where you can go a little smaller. Luis Scola is out there shooting threes. And then also the Celtics, when you got Kelly Olnick hitting all those threes against them. And, and Wall, Wall, and, Wall, and, uh, Wall admitted it. I mean, Wall basically says, quote from the article, it's totally different because the spacing is just tighter. It's clogging up and forces me to kick it out, and I'll just make the right play when it's the right play. We know the difference. We know when Dud's out there, there's more spacing because he's able to shoot the threes. When Ned A's in there, it's more physical power game, kind of like how we had last year. So why do they go to a system change 43 games into the season and for not really that good results? I mean, they're basically, so they're going back, to reverting back to their old ways, getting crushed. And then you even saw it when, when Dudley was in yesterday against the, the Raptors game, when they had Dudley or Gooden, they were starting their, their offensive sets way, way inside the three-point line. And so you ended up with a Gary Neal shooting a two-pointer, or you ended up with these creating, not the guys, like, what was the whole point of the diamonds we saw in preseason in, in training camp? What's the whole dime, point of the diamond squares on the practice court if all of a sudden here it is, game 
43, and you're the whole offense in the second half is pretending that did not exist for three months, Ben. And I think that that's what creates the level of frustration. I I know the fan base is the fan base, but there has been more levels of frustration, I think, in the last... I wouldn't say more levels. There's always the fan base levels, but they have more... Should I say, not more critique, but just they have good examples to point to. I mean, they basically have just been blasted by the Celts and Raptors. They're now 0-8. They're going back to the Gortat and the Nay system. It's not working. And everyone sees it. And then, and then they've now, and they buried Kelly Oubre on the bench. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that there's maybe some argument that he shouldn't get played, start again, obviously, like he did, because Otto has played well. But I don't think he's gone from starting to not getting hardly any run at all. So you, you put those combinations of all those, and then once again you have a, a chance with five days off of rest, like you mentioned earlier, to go 500-20-21 to avenge a loss to, to the Celtics, a team you blew you out twice, and you lost at the buzzer, and you just come up flat and get your ass kicked. I, ben, am I wrong that this is a very frustrating time for, for followers of this team? Even writers of this team I've now seen more and more... You know, I don't necessarily agree with some of their sky-is-falling headlines, per se, but their arguments, they make a lot of sense. They, there's merit behind them. You, you know, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Now, here's the thing. Like, you know, we always talk about the small ball, and I think we always view it from the standpoint of more three-point shooters and spreading the court and all that, right? But, like, you know, with that recent, what, four- or five-game winning streak just a, just a week or two ago, and what really was standing out to me was the – Ball movement was just spectacular. Yes, they, they, you know, and this is, I think, a really underrated part of, say, Dudley's game. I think he's a really smart player, really smart passer. But you know, when they, were, when they had one big man, you know, particularly when it was Nene, but even before that, the ball was just moving all over the place. And for a team that doesn't have a lot of one-on-one scores, I mean, other than John Wall, oh, really, who? Your own shot on this team. I mean, Gary Neal, I guess, can, but we can get to him in a minute. But really, for the most part, like this is a team that they they need to pass the ball to set each other up. And I know that obviously for almost any team, the more assists you're going to have is going to be better, right? But for a team that doesn't have a lot of natural one-on-one scores, I think it's even more so. Um, just taking a quick look here on Basketball Reference, looking at uh, at the at the Wizards' nineteen their highest assist total of their in nineteen games or their, their top nineteen. Assist totals. They're fifteen and four in those games, and I suspect, obviously, that's probably not terribly uncommon for a lot of teams. But I just think with them, it's even more so, which is why going back to the big versus small, it just doesn't seem like the ball flow is going is 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 crisp as nice when it's there. Now, mind you, a lot of the problems defensively. And I know this is, we're talking a lot about the offense, but I'm just saying at the same point, even, even with that, I think one of the things they were doing effectively at times, they essentially had four interchangeable guys on the court. They were able to mix and match defensively without a big deal other than the center. But when you're going like that Portland game, uh, especially with Portland foot. I'm here, Ben. I just turned Oh, okay. Yeah. Especially when Portland put uh, Myers Leonard on the court. Uh, and they started banging threes all over the place. The Wizards with Gortat and Nene, they're not switching as easily with those guys out there. So they're getting constantly caught, leaving shooters open on the perimeter. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of, it's a lot of weirdness. Um, a lot of weirdness for that. Uh, I, I do, I have a question for you. You mentioned the Ubre thing before, right? Yes. Um, 
Now, look, we all we all know how Randy Whitman treats rookies, right? Yes. I mean, other than like other than Wall and Beal, those guys just don't play. And you know, Otto Porter, I think, has come through that possible lack of confidence that you might get from not playing. Whereas, say, Jan Vesely, it just never worked. Chris Singleton, he played a lot as a rookie because he had no choice, and it probably it put in some bad spots. But then the next by the next year, he wasn't playing at all, and things went downhill. Um, so I should take young guys as opposed to rookies. I think Ubre's got the, enough confidence that I think he'll be fine, and you know he, he's shown enough. But Whitman clearly, now that he's getting more guys back, is not going to go with the kid. That seems pretty uh, pretty clear. But I, I'm with I, I'm with you. Like I kind of think he needs to play more for 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 two reasons. One, there's the big picture. It's not just this year. You want to get him as much work as, as you can reasonably. Because he's a part of your future. By next year, they only have like what five or six guys under contract. He's one of them. So this, you know, what I mean. So from that point alone, he needs to ramp up. Also, he's one of the only young. You know, he. This is not a young team. He gives them yes. a certain amount of athleticism in the front court. Um, you know, I know he's not a, a stretch four, but you know, in the land of the you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So I don't get why he can't. You know, he's got enough length. Why he can't, you know, guard it in Myers Leonard on the perimeter, even if Myers Leonard's a bigger guy. I mean, all right, but at least he's going to get out there. But the question is, if Ubre plays, you know, who doesn't? And I was looking this up today, and some of you think, like, I think like, I, had, I was all cool with, the, with them bringing in Gary Neal, and I think he does give them some elements that they need, scoring, shooting, one on one. But when, but it does feel like when he's in there, a lot of times things seem to go the wrong way. <laughs> yes, last night was a great example. Like, look at his yeah, plus, yeah. Min- his plus I, minus I last night. I to look night. at this a little bit more. His plus minus last night, I think he had 14 points, but was neg- he was had the worst plus minus on the team at minus 20. Uh, you know, once you get plus minus or plus minus, you've got to take a lot of that with Grand Salt, but it seems like a lot of his, he has a lot of negative plus minus ratings. Yeah, so, so I was looking, so I was looking at something really quick. So I was looking at the on-court, off-court stats on NBA.com. Uh, in, in terms of the net rating, you know, so obviously you know, but just for people who might be listening, points per 100 possessions, you know, the offense, and you know, minus the, combined, minus the defense, and you get that rating, plus or minus. If you take a look at all the Wizards this year, all, when they're on the court, so take out the, you know, the, the five minutes of Ryan Holland, put aside DeJuan Blair, who largely plays in some kind of a garbage time scenario, and let's just even put aside Drew Gooden, who has played far fewer minutes than just about anybody because he's you know, he, he'd been hurt most of the year. But you take all the other guys on the team. Gary Neal on the court is by is definitely the worst, minus nine point seven net rating. Uh, so the Wizards have not scored you know nine point seven points per hundred possessions when he's on the court. Now, mind you, Gary Neal has played the uh, seventh most minutes on the team. He played more than Beal. You know, he, Wall, Dudley, Gortat, Porter, Temple, Sessions, then Neal. So he's played quite a bit. Now, if you go the other way, when, when he's off the court, uh, the net rating, he, he's the only regular who the team is better when he's off the court. He's a plus two off the court. <laughs> That's a pretty good sample size, too, at this point. <laughs> Right, I mean, because it says off the court factors in even the games that you're not playing. Um, I, 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 you want to guess who has the best net rating off the court? Nene? No. Uh, nope. 
It wouldn't be Beal. Wall? Or Sessions? Wall. No, Wall, Wall is third. It's one of it's it's one of my favorites, not Otto Porter. Garrett Temple. Temple, yes. Garrett's played well, Ben. I, I had a long podcast. I said a lot of good things about Garrett Temple. I'll have to, I'll have to find that for you and uh, tell you where it's at. Oh, I want to hear that because everybody always wants to cut that guy. Yeah, day. no, me, me and Troy, oh. me and Troy had about a five ten minutes talking about how basically we said, you know, obviously aside from John Wall, we thought he was the team MVP. Uh, of of this of this team and the stats bared it out how much he put into his game and shot a lot better and I don't know where this team really would be without him honestly they'd be worse you, I mean they just someone that could come and be utility play those spots play the defense and he's been able to knock down some shots and he's been able to show a little bit more off the dribble than he normally has but like as you mentioned that's not something that we want him to do on a regular basis but he hasn't really tried to do too much and. He's found an ability to really op- knock down shots and sometimes even contested shots. His confidence is is, is highest I've, I've ever seen him play. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and, I, and I think he's a good example of the good and the bad with this team. I mean, the reason I've always been on the side of keeping Garrett Temple around is I, I, people always want to take every roster spot and find the guy who has the most max upside possible. But, I, but, 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 Upside is not the same as, as being helpful. You actually have to have guys, to me, your last five spots or so on the bench need to be a guy who can do specific things when they come into a game, make a three-pointer, play defense, rebound, whatever it is. And Eric Temple will do certain things. You know, we, we know what they are. He, and he's been better offensively this year than he probably has in his career. But he'll listen to Whitman. He has no ego. He'll do the smart things. And, yes, but, but on the flip side, the problem – is when he's playing 30 minutes a game, yeah. you know, he's, there's a reason why most of his career he's been a guy towards the back of the bench because he's not a guy who night in, night out is going to deliver for you, especially offensively. So that this is where the good and the bad is. He gives you the, the stability, but because you're relying on him so much, this is where I think part of these swings come in because you have guys like, and it's not just him, but other guys who, you know, Kelly Oubre is another example of this too. He's a rookie. He's still learning how to play, and he's being, you know, for a while there, he was being asked to start play heavy minutes, and you're just not going to get consistent performances out of that guy. Um, you know, there's a reason why some guys are stars and starters, and there's a reason why other guys are contributors. And when you start having the contributors having to play like starters, then that's when things can start going the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, going back to your mention about women's confusing rotations. He's about to be four, about to come, I think we just maybe had the four year anniversary of Randy Whitman taking over this team. So nothing really surprises me about Randy Whitman. He could start a player one game, bench him another. Heck, they started Ryan Hollins. He was off the team just this year after a few weeks. You know, a lot of those are injuries and necessities. But we've seen with every player from, from Yon to Singleton to, to Jay Crosties, my, my man to just a lot of weird, even last year, him throwing in Dwan Blair for no reason. I mean, a year ago, Ben, going when you saw, see mention Otto Porter, we had the free Otto Porter movement. <laughs> I mean, so a lot of people don't understand that was less than a year ago, and and so we've seen the way that Randy Whitman rolls. What I my thing about it is is that Ubre has shown enough defensively to earn a spot, and for Randy Whitman, and that's the one thing as rookies that Randy Whitman. Is always harped on and preached on. Like, if you're not going to play defense, you're not. We saw it with Karen's Kevin Serafin. 
the way to earn playing time with him was always on the defensive end. Now, Kelly still has, you know, a lot to learn. The refs sometimes don't give him uh, a fair shake here and there. Sometimes he's out of position, but he's able to be active with his hands. He plays the passing range really well. Even when he gets beat, he's able to be athletic enough to, to cover himself, which we don't have that many players on this team. And we've shown enough ability, and he's shown enough ability to knock down the open shot and just t- to take it. Uh, you know, that's the most impressive thing that I've I've continually talked about on this podcast. Maybe you've seen it as well. So enough, he doesn't seem to get really shook when things go bad. We've seen you see a lot of times in this league where young kids, whether they get yelled at the coaches, they're not able to do what they're able to do in college, or they take a couple bad shots, things aren't working, they don't adjust, and they go and pout. And nothing really happens. I haven't really seen that with Ubre. I've seen him just come right back at it and try it again. And I've seen a little bit better adjustment with his drives. I think he's in a little slump now. Hopefully, I don't. His confidence isn't isn't shaken by this. I don't think it will be because if you know, I think he does understand the bigger picture. Like I'm still a rookie. Otto's back. You know, you got veterans playing. I think he gets that. But I also think that he makes his team a better team. And I think that there's a chance that during certain matchups you can steal minutes from a Gary Neal, from a, from a Drew Gooden, and then you play Otto Porter and maybe him together, you know, in the second or third quarter and kind of see how it goes, especially with, with teams you want to kind of play that small, smallish ball or have a couple, couple more athletic guys, young guys run around with John Wall or even Sessions pushing the ball. Am I wrong? What have you seen? I mean, what have you seen out of Ubre before we, we before we move on? Well, so let me let me just go back to the draft. I, I wasn't terribly excited about the pick for a couple of reasons. In terms of part of it was being positional. You know, it just felt like they had a lot of young. Their young guys were on the perimeter. It felt like they needed a young big man. You know, we've all talked about Bobby Portis. Seems like that would have been a good fit. But okay, let's move on from that. Then Ubre, when I, I saw him play at college, he, you know, they played Kansas played here at Georgetown, and uh, I, he, had, you know, he was a big recruit coming in, so I paid attention a little, and you know, he definitely seemed very raw. You could see the upside, but he seemed raw. Um, that said, you know, he, he's been, you know, he's shown enough this year. He's shown probably more this year than I would have guessed, um, and and a lot of it is what you just said. That kid is confident as heck. He came in, you know, from draft night on. He just, you know, he he. he he thinks he's the, you know, the 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 net, and that's fine. Uh, you know, it's better that on some level than the other way because this this game, all professional sports will humble you if you don't have. You know, what did Crash Davis tell uh, tell Nuke? You know, you've got to be confident, you've got to believe because this game will bring you down. And and he, like you said, at a base level, he can already do a lot of the three and D stuff. He's willing to get in there and put his nose in there and, and, and get in there after a guy. He's got that 7-2 wingspan, which is a problem. He's athletic. And, well, he's made a decent amount of three-pointers this year, uh, even when he comes in cold. The other thing I like is I always think you need to have a guy, one or two guys on your bench. Um, I know, like, Bill Simmons will call it, like, a rational confidence. I, I, I don't know. I, I, that type of thing. I like the guy. You need to have one or two of those guys who when the game is going wrong, doesn't understand that the game is going wrong, and they're going to come in and give you attitude. Sometimes attitude is everything. And there were times this year where I was like, hey, put the kid in. He may not be the best player, or maybe he's not really the best bet in terms of the what you're trying to do from a scheme standpoint, from a mental standpoint. 
I kind of thought he was a good option for them. Um, now, all that said, I get why Whitman, at a, on some level, isn't using him as much. Simply as more guys are back, if you're only going to go with a nine or ten man rotation, you know, it, it, it's just there. It's hard to find minutes on some level, right? I mean, you got Beal and Otto with the three and the two. If Garrett Temple is playing, well, I guess Beal's not starting yet, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, you got Garrett Temple there. Um, you know, but this goes back to my point. Right now, Gary Neal is sort of the other guy. They're going more three guards than anything. It would be kind of shameful, though, if, if Kelly Oubre, the final 35 games or so of the year, is just relegated to, the, you know, the, the random five minutes here and there, both because I think he could be helpful to what they're trying to do, but from a long-term perspective, he's got to play. I just think you're not helping the situation if he's going to sit there. And again, I, I think the numbers maybe sort of don't lie. I mean, maybe less Gary Neal. Maybe, you know, less Drew Gooden, maybe even a little bit less Temple just to, you know, shorten his minutes. I think I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Especially when Bradley Beal's out right now. You know, when Bradley Beal's back, I get how the minutes are a little bit harder on the wings when Bradley Beal and Otto are there. But when, in Neal, obviously, but when Bradley Beal's out, I, I, don't, I feel like... Uber should be playing more than five minutes if Bradley Beal's hurt. <laughs> it's just period. And that's, especially, I don't know, that's just how I feel. Now that goes back into the rotation. This goes back to a very sports radio topic here on the podcast. I used to, I like to mock sports talk radio. I know you're a big, big fan. I, I don't really mock in a sense. I used, to, I just don't listen to it, I guess, that often. But I just, you know, they, they got to create a lot of content. I get it. Uh, very bitter they talk about the Redskins, Redskins all the time. I didn't really make that points this year because the Redskins made the playoffs and the Wizards were struggling, even though that's fine. Uh, my points were always about outsized coverage. But that's in this top. That is not this discussion. This discussion is a very sports talk radio one. Open up the lines, Ben. Should we fire Randy Whitman? And I never like to talk about this kind of fire Whitman stuff. I actually wrote to defend Whitman multiple times. This guy, he... I always, I guess, want to do a rational, logical thing. My opinion at all had been, like, Whitman's future will be determined on how well this team finishes, how well this team is in the postseason, and how much Ted Leonsis thinks his, Ted Leonsis and maybe John Wall believe that they're going, they're taking the right steps. And the last two postseasons has shown ownership and a lot of fans that this, that this team was progressing. This franchise was doing things that it hadn't done and was progressing, and I had to give Randy Whitman credit. Now, a lot of people were upset that the whole style change had to happen and the regular season struggles. Now, injuries do give us a big asterisk, but with what we're mentioning about the rotation, what we're mentioning about the blowout losses, what we're mentioning about the defense falling apart, what we're mentioning about the weird transition back to the different style, now not being very good at home, I think it's a legitimate thing to wonder, especially when you see David Black get fired. I know that that is a different situation. And the Nets have fired the coach, and the Cavs have fired the coach. You have Mikhail getting fired. It's like the two of the final four coaches have been canned. I think that was Stan Van Gundy's comment the other day. In this context, all the situations are individual. I know it's different, but I've seen more and more chatter. I think Brian Windhorst gave, gave some comments to Zach Lowe on his podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but I saw it today online kind of dissing the, the, even the Wizards coaching staff, which I don't know how much I believed that, how there wasn't a high regard for the other, the, the bench. 
which seemed kind of a bizarre, thinly veiled criticism at Randy Whitman. I don't, I don't say like I want to say let's fire anyone or not. It's just really hard to defend him as much as I have in the past from the people at the gates that want something new. Wait, did you say it was a Zach Lowe uh, chat? Is that what you said? Yeah, Brian Windhorst and Zach Lowe had a podcast. I think Bo's Forever had it today. Oh, got it. Uh, well, okay. So, so, so let's talk. Yeah, so let's talk about this practically. Um, you know, for, first off, I think this is about almost every sport. Whenever you hear people say, "Oh, you know what? This assistant coach would make a great head coach," <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows. It isn't. It, it, I mean, sometimes maybe you can tell, but for the most part. How do you know? Tell the person, you know, it, it's not, it, it's different jobs. I mean, until you see how this person handles being the leader of men, you don't know. You know, North Turner was always a good, great example, I thought. Great coordinator, not a leader of men. So there is a difference. Now, that said, um, you know, maybe there are some guys in this league where you can look at them on the bench and you can see to yourself, um, you know, you can see that, th- that there's some hope here. I'm not knocking the Wizards' assistants, but that said, if you fire Randy Whitman, who is taking over? I Don, mean, Don Newman, probably, right? How, what changes? Don Newman? I I don't know. I mean, Don Newman's got some health concerns. I don't yes. know what. I mean, I'm not saying Howard Isley. I'm just saying Howard Isley. I, I don't know. I mean, ha, I, I don't know. I mean, is Howard Isley somebody that around the league is being considered for head coaching jobs? I mean, I think I could be wrong on this, but I think Don Zierden may be the only one with like a head coaching experience, and that was like the WNBA. Correct. So, yes. so I mean, I guess just from a practical sense, if you fire like if you fire Randy Whitman, I, I know that the Cavs just did it, but they paid Tyron Lue a ton of money. A year ago to be the assistant, and I think a lot of people thought Tyron Lue could have could have been given the job last year. So you know, to that point, I, I don't know who would just take over. It, it, it's not as simple as saying, "Well, let's fire him, bring in somebody from the outside, and things will be okay." You're already forty games into the year. You're more than halfway through the season. How long is it going to take for this new coach to come in, implement something, fix the system? How, how, many, how many struggles are there going to be before that happens? It's going to take, what, 10, 15, 20 games before maybe he figures it out, and then by then we're the Wizards. So I just don't think it's practical to think that they're going to fire Randy Whitman just from that standpoint um, and, and do anything. Beyond now, as far as the notion of should he or shouldn't he, I, I don't know. Again, I, I, I go back to what I – not to what's out here, but I go back to what I said right at the top. It's hard for me to say what the heck this team is – because they haven't had their right team all year. Um, you know, I mean, Beal's been, I mean, you know, John Wall and Bradley Beal are so much of this team. Bradley Beal has not, has been almost a non-factor, you know, for, for, for so much of the season. Um, and, you know, we, they, you know, I mean, look, the, the start of the season, Chris Humphreys was the starting power forward. He hasn't played in what, like 10 games now? Uh, yes. Bradley Beal has missed a good chunk of the last, of time, you know, Nene. Obviously, you know, always a key contributor. He's missed so much time. I mean, John Wall and I think Sessions are the only two guys that have played every game. I think Jared Dudley's only missed one. Uh, you know, I mean, so it's just hard to say like what they are. So to that point with Whitman, you know, I don't know what he does sometimes. Some of his choices drive me crazy. His rotation decisions, he's so old school in a lot of ways. But, you know, 
His uh, answers in press, his answers in press conferences. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, and 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 then you come back to the whole playoff Randy thing. You know, two yes. years in a row they win a playoff series. Convincingly, uh, and, convincingly, convincingly, both times, right? Right, and you know, and I think, and I think most of us probably think if John Wall doesn't get hurt, you know, they probably beat uh, Atlanta, and they yes. probably make the Eastern Conference Finals, and that that seems insane, but that, you know, that that seems like where things were headed. So, I, I guess I just don't see when you put it all together, even as things as, as sort of loopy as they are right now. I guess I just don't see with the, from a practical standpoint. What are you really going to gain? I, I, I will. I will just say this. I'll be curious to see what is happening here with this big man starting lineup because this seems blatantly I, malpractice. I mean, that's what somebody on Twitter told me. Shout out to whoever that was. He goes, you know, I've defended Randy all year, but he's like this lineup thing with the big guys. It's just blatantly malpractice. It, it, it's there's no other way to defend this. You know, because it's also <laughs> I, what, what, I, what I'm wondering is is. Is it defiant at all? Because the Wizards made a big key point to say we are switching to yes. this small ball, to this small ball look. And you know, Whitman seems to be saying he was all for it. And look, in the playoffs last year, they did go with that small ball lineup with Pierce to the four, and it worked. So I mean, it doesn't seem like he's doing it kicking and screaming. But at the same point, it feels on some level like the organization will just say that collectively said, we want to go this way, and now he's going back to this big man group. So if they if he stays with it, I'll just be curious to see what is the reaction, or I would be curious, I should say, what what is the reaction from the organization as a whole oh, as to going with this thing after making a point of saying, we're going small, and now you're not. Well, what's so bizarre, too, is that you just saw against the Bulls in Chicago, and you saw in Indiana two of the better games I thought the Wizards had played over the last month or so, and that was with Dudley and Nene. Gortat was out, one of them. And that was with the small ball and Bradley Beal, right, in the Indiana game. And it was like John Wall, Bradley Beal, Nene, and Dudley dominated Indiana in Indiana. I know it's just one game, but you just saw you just saw the mix of what they were trying to do, the spacing, the driving. It, it was reminiscent to the postseason, and then all of a sudden, 10 days later, we're back to Gortat and Nene playing this too-big lineup where they can't even get a shot off because the name Gortat, and also, it's not even really fair to Nene Gortat. They don't really, I mean, yeah, they can play out there, but you're asking one of them to kind of chase a big now around, and, and offensively, Nene really needs to be at the high post, and Gortat can't really be at the low post when he's at the high post that much because it clogs all they overload the the lane and John Wall can't really do his thing especially when the pick and roll happens Gortat's man just helps off him and clogs up the the pick and roll when they run it with Nene or vice versa so that's what's really what? that's what's bizarre to me from a systematic I guess we're going back to the whole the whole the whole too big discussion we just had for 20 minutes but but I think what? it comes into the indictment of Randy Whitman <clears throat> Right. Well, and just, and just to swing it back, you know, one thing that was weird about this homestand is that they played the Celtics in the front of it and the back of it. So the first game they played with the Celtics, great game, one nineteen, one seventeen. They lose on Jay Crowder's layup with four seconds left and all that. But the Wizards at that point were playing, you know, still a, a bit shorthanded. Ubre was in the starting lineup, and they went with a, you know, the, the lineup they went with all year: Dudley, Gortat, with. You know, Wall, Tempo, and in this case, Ubre. although I think it probably could have easily been Otto. That lineup played 20 minutes against the Celtics in that game, and from a net rating standpoint, were plus one. 
that's not great, but it's fine. I mean, you know, whatever. They then, they then, you know, a week later, play them again. Now you have more. You, they even had a few more guys back. He goes with the 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 Gortat lineup, and that starting lineup goes minus six. So, like, I, I mean, it's not like like I would get it if it was reversed. If the other lineup had been bad, but like this seems odd that playing the same team in a game where you lost by two points, basically just you know. You know, you can't win every game. It's not like they were bad. They go the other way, and they get worked. So, I, I, I don't know. That, 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 like, you're not going to get more, you know, uh, a more be, you know, a, or a, a or B samples to go head-to-head and see what's, what, what worked, what didn't, and yet he's staying with that bigger lineup. Do you think so, that he's well, just? Do you think he's just like, okay, we play terrible defense, we can't defend, our offense get better if we defend, and I'm just going to go with Gortat and A and try to defend better? Is that what his logic is? Is there no logic? I mean, people sometimes don't give him the, he obviously knows a lot more basketball than I do. It's been around his career, but he does have some logic. He's very caging his answers. I just, I'm just confused uh, what he's actually going off of. You know, like what is he? Well, I mean, he's stubborn, well, but he's stubborn about something, right? I mean, that's what it's yeah, saying. I mean, right? it, he's not for stubborn for stubborn's sake. He's stubborn about something. He's not inflexible, even though he comes across that way. I mean, in theory, I think if you're going to start Nene over Dudley, you're basically saying we want to, we want better interior scoring, we want better rebounding. Well, in the rebound the, in, hasn't uh, even got in, better, right? <laughs> no, against Toronto with Nene in the starting lineup, they were out rebounded by 13. Um, so I, 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 I don't know, but I mean, you know, again, this goes back to the whole my, my whole, you know, my my thought from the beginning, which is to say it's just hard. He he's still searching for what's going to work. It just feels like when they've played their best this year, they, their best has been some sort of small ball lineup. I, I will say this, and this is the most, you know, we're talking about all these radical lineups uh, or what they could do. I actually think maybe the most radical lineup they could go with, instead of when we talk about breaking up Gortat and Nene, we're all essentially saying put Dudley back in for Nene. But I would argue that maybe – Maybe the way to go would be the other way. What would it look like if they went with Dudley and Nene with Gortat coming off the bench? I think Gortat would not be a big fan of that, which is one reason why I don't think it would work. And maybe I'm wrong because Gortat is some, needs more help, I think, when it comes to getting his own offense. He needs those pick and rolls. And, and then the second unit, Ramon Sessions is, you know, not really the, he's not the same type of guard that John Wall is as far as passing. But in terms of the starters, Nene gives you much better defense. He's a, he's a better help rebounder. You know, he, he the team typically rebounds much better when he's on the court. He's a much better passer. You can almost run your offense through him. I think the ball flow when when Gortat missed those games and the Wizards kept winning. I think the Wizards are like five and one this year with that Gortat, by the way. Uh, but when Nene was playing center and everybody was flowing off of that, that I thought was some of their best ball movement of the year. Now, again, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think they're going to sit Gortat. I just would be curious. If they were going to do something radical, if they were all cool with it, that might be the lineup I want to see. Go with Nene and Dudley, and let me see what that team looks like. No, I think you're correct because one of one of Otto and even Garrett Temple's offensive abilities or one of their pluses on offense is their ability to cut, like to find those open seams. And Nene has shown great way to hit them off of cuts. So they were able to 
get some other offense where it just isn't a John Wall pick and roll or Bradley Beal coming off a double screen, right? And then you're able to get some, whereas when Gortat's in there, you're not getting that at all. You're basically getting Gortat off some movements or you're maybe getting Dudley, Dudley, you know, dishing to Gortat. So then you have, you know, you can have a Dudley with a Dudley creating a little offense in an A or an A passing to, you know, a Dudley cutting or, or an auto cutting or a temple cutting, you know, when Bradley Beal isn't in. And then you have the Nene wall pick and roll, which I still think is very deadly, deadly, and which is why they beat the Bulls and they beat the Pacers. And there's two games I keep talking about. But you're right. From an ego standpoint, no way. No way Gortat's will be able to bench. I do think it's a, totally the best lineup. It's the best defensive lineup. I think, I think Kyle's actually ran the numbers if you take, uh, it's, it's, I think it's Ubre in for Otto and you have, uh, or you have, no, Uber for Otto, and you have Temple in for Beal, and you have Nene and Dudley, and that's the best starting five. So even if you put Otto in for Ubre, like that's your basically the best five on defense that they have. Hello, everyone. That wraps up part one of my discussion with Ben Standig. We went on for about two hours, so I divvied it up into two different segments. So go check out part two. We really dive into Randy Whitman's future for this season, next season. John Wall's impact on a coach, Kevin Durant's impact on a coach, what the options would be if he was replaced, and the future of the struggling basketball team. I appreciate everyone still still staying with me. I'm continuing to do these podcasts for everyone. I hope you're enjoying them. And as always, go Wiz. My daddy played poker in the woods, they say, back in his younger day. Prohibition was the top with the rich folks walked to the Stay. Jugs and jars from shiners. These old boys here, they ain't miners. They came from the 29ers that didn't take a hole in the ground to put the bottom in their face. Take his skin, peel from the bottom, put the ace in the hole. One hand on the jug, but you never do.
Shadows of the cage around the 41 line. 